This is the Athletic Hockey Show. It is your Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It is Ian Mendes, Julian McKenzie with you for, I don't know, yeah, in the summer we like to, we don't like to put in rules. It could be a 20-minute show. It could be an hour and 20. It could be something in between. What are we thinking here, man? What are we thinking, Julian? I mean... 40, 40 minutes? There's only so much to talk about, Ian. I mean... I, I think, you know what, I'm one of those people that just likes to kind of let things go. Like, you know how in the middle of the summer, you start to forget about what day it is? I'm not exactly there yet, but maybe with the podcast, we could start to do that. We're like, we're not even thinking about time. We're not even thinking about the time of day. It is only uh, a construct after all. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you know what, though? We do have some some actual news to sink our our teeth into with Alex DeBrinkett getting traded in our um I can speak. Don't worry. I can speak. English. Uh, <laughs> you know what the problem was? I was up till about 1230, 1 a.m. Oh, wow. Like just because the, the Alex DeBrinket trade happened and then I had to write something off it. So anyway, we're, we'll get into that. Max Boltman's going to drop by. We'll, we'll get the Ottawa-Detroit perspective on this mm-hmm. deal. Alex is actually speaking to the media in Detroit right now. So so Max will jump in. We'll talk a little bit about Alex DeBrinket's headspace how this deal came together, you know, all of that stuff. So we'll get to that. But I, I got to ask you this. Yeah. So you have moved to Calgary. You went to the Stampede, mm-hmm. the Calgary Stampede. I need to know, mm-hmm. at any point, did you consider wearing a T-shirt that said, my first rodeo? That's a, I wish I did. That's such a brilliant idea. Come on. <laughs> I've always, my dream is to go to the Calgary idea. Stampede and where are my first? I've never been. Oh, this is legitimately man. my first rodeo. I want to tell Dog. people. Uh, I was hanging out with uh, a few friends uh, the first day I went, and one of them sent me a couple photos of me wearing uh, an outfit. Uh, just to describe the outfit for the people listening: big black like cowboy hat and this kind of weird like Keith Herring shirt. And I actually tied like my like I had a light like black jacket just kind of tied around my waist because I wasn't sure what the weather was going to be like and managed to kind of hold it around there. And this friend of mine sent me these photos and then wrote like a little caption underneath saying a man at his first rodeo. And I thought it would have been too cheesy to maybe like put that up as like an Instagram caption. But yeah, like wearing my first rodeo. My first rodeo my shirt, shirt. Was, was should have been. Oh, man, I wish I thought of that. That's actually a brilliant idea. You That's know, such a brilliant idea. <gasps> Why well, now the moments pass because now uh-huh. the next time you go, it'll be your second. You know, when you go to a hockey game and, you know, it's a little kid and they're like, my first Penguins game, yeah. right? Like you got a T-shirt or something. Uh-huh. That was you. You missed your opportunity. And That's it. Damn it. Okay. Well, missed. what I'll do is if like my family visits like next summer and like my dad or something will be like, yeah, you got to take me to the stampede. Like I'll, I'll, I'll get that for him because it's one thing if, it, if I wear that shirt, but if any of my family members wear like a, my first radio thing, that's going to be the photo. Like seeing there my dad, like walk around the grounds, he'll be like, Julian, take a photo, take a photo of me on the side, like, or whatever. Something like that. just use his tricky accent. Wearing <laughs> yeah. my first rodeo on, uh, on, on a shirt. You, I would, I would love that forever. That's like, I, I like, I'd give copies of that to every member of my family. Okay. There we go. We, we planted the seed. For yes. my first rodeo yes. uh, t-shirt. So give people, like, 
Give me the, I've never been to the Calgary Stampede. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and there's a lot of people that might be listening to us from, you know, Michigan or Texas or Washington or wherever. And they have no idea what the Calgary Stampede is. Give okay. us a broad strokes version of this event. Okay. What is this? So it's very broad and I'm sure there will be Calgary people who will come into the mentions and be like, hey, you're missing all this extra context. But the best way I can explain it is think of a random like country fair or just regular fair that like pops up in your neighborhood, but like times five. So like you walk around the grounds, you'll see like amusement park stuff. You'll see the typical uh, food and beverage are, stuff. Are we talking like deep? Fr- like, can I get a deep fried Snickers bar? At the I, Calgary I, I feel like if you look hard enough, you okay. definitely can. That's what I need to know. That oh, yeah. Of. You could definitely find like fried gator stuff. Like I, I, I wish I was a little bit more adventurous with the food. There was a really good like BBQ place. I think it was called Prairie, I want to say. And they had like these like beef sandwiches, beef brisket, like the barbecue stuff was really good. Um, But what's cool, too, is they'll have these random like areas where you could see like live music. Like, yes, like on the on the Sunday. Uh, they had like a Coca-Cola uh, like music stage area and like Jesse Reyes uh, who's from Toronto did a really good job. Great performance. Um, they also have these random like kind of bar club tents where like if you line up for a little while, then you go in and you're just basically partying with all these people and and going off all the time. Everyone's just getting drunk. Basically, it's yeah. like bas- it's basically like this like massive, massive party and of course there's like a more traditional aspect to it like there's the the rodeo the chuck wagon racing there's the relay racing i the first night i went there was like a horse relay race where you're seeing people like ride horses around an oval and at one point the 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 riders get off a horse and they get on a completely different one and then just keep going and there's a there's an indigenous angle to it too, and there are these First Nations performers as well. Yeah, uh, I believe also this year was the first time in the history of the event where they had like an all female like race in terms of the relay race. So that was really cool to see as well. And if I believe this is like the hundredth consecutive year they've put on the Stampede, but technically not the one hundredth year of it total. I think the first year was 1912. But they started doing it regularly from 1923 onward. So, like, if you're if you're into going to Stampede to like really take in like the pure traditional aspects of the the riding and 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 the horse racing and all that, like that's there for you, and you could take that in. But yeah. if you really want to just go there and like hang out with your friends and get lit, like there's that aspect too. And you don't even have to go to the grounds. Like I spent the entire Saturday. Like going to stampede just parties. Like people are having like house parties, condo parties, all that. I didn't even like go to the actual grounds. Like I just partied the whole Saturday. Like it's it's a really fun time. And it's cool. And like if you if you ever if you if you pull up Ian, we'll 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 take care of you, man. There's, there's a lot of hot okay. community of people who are who are who were apparently jealous at the fact that uh I was gonna do my thing at the stampede, but uh, it's been it's been really cool. It's been really fun so far. Okay, next year, your dad and I are going to roll in in matching My First Rodeo t-shirts. Okay, we want the full tour. Oh, my God, Uh, yes. Okay, so like I said, we'll get to Alex Dubrink a little later when when Max Boltman uh, jumps in here and we we can have a conversation. I do want to talk a little bit about something the NBA announced 
uh, over the last couple of days, Julian, that I wonder, I wonder how hockey fans feel about this. Would, would you want to see this in hockey? And it is called the in-season tournament in the NBA. And the yeah. way that, let, let me try and explain this in, and I, in fact, I have, I have NBA.com opened up on my phone so I can try to give a very basic layperson's mm-hmm. kind of explanation mm-hmm. of, of this tournament. Basically, in the month of November, the NBA will have regular season games, uh, but these games will actually be part of a tournament. It's an yeah. in-season tournament. And every team has been put into a different pod, like different groups, like groups of, of five, right? Where um, you're, you're, uh, you're put in, okay? Yeah. You're put into a, a group of five teams and you play the other four teams in your group and they're just regular season games, but with a twist. At the end of the, the month of November, you'll have played, uh, you know, four group stage games. The teams with the, basically they're going to take the teams with the eight best records in these play-in games. And you're going to advance to a knockout stage. And then you're going to get down to a semifinal, like four teams. And then they're going to take this thing to Vegas. And the final four teams will go to Vegas in December and they will play uh, semifinals and championships. So every team still plays an 82-game regular season. All these quote-unquote tournament games will count in your regular season standings except for the championship game, which will sit outside of the regular season uh, schedule, okay? Yeah. So people are saying like, okay, well, what's the point of this? Like, what do you get? Like, you know, what, what happens here? Like, you... They're they're creating a new trophy called the NBA Cup. And there's also going to be a prize pool allocated to players where you're going to basically get some more money. And it's nothing more than bragging rights. But I don't – I'm open to the idea. Uh, You're trying to make regular season games in November mean something. You're creating a tournament within the season. You're not adding extra games. You're not doing – I'm okay with this. You're not putting players at extra risk because yeah. these are within the confines of an 82 game season. And maybe you, you'll be more likely on these in these games to make sure Steph plays or, you know, whatever. So wh- what do you think? What do you think of the idea of, of this particular plan? I love the idea of an in-season tournament. I, I, I'm not, it's not something that's unfamiliar to me as a soccer fan that is used to watching my favorite club go through its, I guess, regular season, and then seeing that there are other tournaments throughout the season that play out. Um, what I would love to see, and I want, I feel as if since the NBA is already in the lead with this, maybe they're the league to do it, make these games mean a little bit more than just, you know, you're winning a cup. One idea I've always, I've, I've thought of uh, if you were to do an in-season tournament, I don't remember if I've mentioned it on this particular podcast, but I feel you could have a, a situation where you you have the games play out the way that you laid them out just now. And yeah, you can get a trophy. But what if the winner of that tournament clinched a playoff spot then and there? Yes, I like, like that. You clinch a playoff spot and then people are going, oh, well, the, at that point, what's the what what does it mean for the rest of your season? At that point, uh, you're basically playing for seeding. So yep. say like say like you make the playoffs and you are like first in the Western conference, and then you play out your season, you're, you're essentially going like second or third or say like 
you were nowhere. This is, could also be a really weird thing too. Say you were like not in a playoff position and then you make the play and then you win that play in thing and then you make the playoffs and you play off the rest of the year. And technically you would have been in like 10th or 11th or whatever. You just end up with like the lowest possible seeding in that playoff spot. Just make it mean something like, all right, cool. You, you found a way to make a playoff spot in November before like some team and in, 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 in top spot who's probably going to win the president's trophy, which I get would be a little weird, but at the same time, maybe in theory, that team could be the team to clinch that playoff spot. We don't know. Like, I, I think that's just like a fun in season thing you could do to really make it matter. I think you would, I think you'd sell more people on the idea if you found a way to make that tournament matter. And I think in that situation, that's the best way, I, that's the best idea I can come up with in terms of making it matter more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Julian. Uh, like I said, uh, the story of the hockey world took place Sunday evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's find out where Max Boltman was because I was... I was on the ninth. I was just playing nine holes with some buddies and I was on the ninth hole. And as we were kind of approaching the green on the ninth hole, that's, uh, that's when I got somebody in my group was like, ah, Elliot Friedman just tweeted that this to bring it to Detroit things close. And then Max, you and I got a note via Slack about the same thing. And then I was like, oh my gosh. So I got to start sending out some text. So I was golfing. Where was Max Boltman when this deal went down Sunday? (laughs) I was at the Tigers uh, draft watch party downtown Detroit. I had just come from my uh, my beer league game, big win for for those interested. Yes, sir. Uh, and uh, yes, yeah, so I was at the watch party at a bar downtown. I was I was off this week or was was going to be off this week, and I, and I got the I, I have uh, push notifications on for Elliot's tweets at this time of year. So I saw that and I was like, all right, time to time to head home. So. Uh, Got home exactly in time for for the final final deal to break. Sent a couple of texts and I walked to my car uh, to to see see what was up and and then we got to work. Yeah, and, and it's funny because you and I, if we can peel back the curtain a little bit for our listeners, about I don't know ten days ago, you sent me a, a note and you're like, "Hey, are they going to get this done so they don't ruin our summer? Like, let's just get this deal done, <laughs> Ottawa, Detroit." It's this felt like a foregone conclusion yeah. for the two of us for you know a better part of a week or two. Uh, right. Like, like, when did you feel like this was a, this was a certainty that this was, this was destined to happen, Alex, to bring it to Detroit? Um, I guess probably the last few days when it, when it resurfaced again, after free agency, uh, you know, my criticism, I think a lot of people's criticism of what the Red Wings had done was, yeah, you got better, you got deeper, you still didn't get that score that everybody I think has felt that they've needed. Um, and and in, in his press conference, Steve Eiserman kind of kept alluding to this idea of like, you know, we'll, we'll see what what else we can do now. You know, usually things the page turns up for agency teams start to kind of reassess their roster. We'll see what we can do, you know, this and that. And it, it didn't have to be Debrinket, But I think once you saw Debrinket still out there and then, you know, Detroit and Debrinket starts popping up again, you're like, OK, this is 
this is at the five or whatever yard line it, it seemed, you know, and nobody knew for sure. Um, but it, I think the last few days it has felt like I'm checking my phone, expecting to see that pop up pretty much every time I check it. Right. Yeah. But like, and what's cool about, I mean, maybe for depending on which team you're rooting for, but it doesn't seem as if the Red Wings lost out on too much in terms of the deal with Dominic Kubalik, a conditional first round pick, a few other smaller pieces in the deal as well. A lot of people, at least on paper, are calling it a win for for the Detroit Red Wings. Not to mention, you sign Alex Debrinkit uh, to an AAV of seven point eight seven five mil. Like you're, you're getting him under eight million dollars. Well, how did you feel uh, Steve Eiserman made out in terms of the deal and the negotiation on on a contract extension? That that was my reaction too. Now I have to say, uh, Ian, I'm sure you wrote a remarkably similar column one year ago to the one yeah. I, that I filed <laughs> last night. Hundred so, percent. I think we all need to be careful as we discuss, you know, just how how much, you know, even one addition, no matter who it is, can can change a, a franchise's outlook. I do think it puts them, you know, they're an 80 point team last year. I think if, if they can get into the 90s, that that puts you very much in the playoff race, even, you know, last year it was 92 to get in the year before it was 100. So mm-hmm. it can it can vary pretty wildly. But I think it it, it puts them in the chase for the playoffs, if, if nothing else. And I think that matters. And I, I would tend to agree with you, Julian, that I don't think they gave up a ton. Um, now, we'll see what those picks, you know, that that pick turns out to be, right? They have their own and they have Boston's and, and you know, Ottawa's going to get the, the later of those two picks, mm-hmm. um, potentially an unprotected in 2025, depending on how things go for Boston. But, but most likely, I would say it's a pick probably in the late teens, around 20s is my guess of what that's going to end up. Um, that's a, obviously, it's a tough, you know, situation for Ottawa in terms of what they had given up for to bring it a year ago. But I, I do think there's the potential for that to be a good pick, right? If it's a 17th pick, I don't think it's a terrible outcome or something. First round pick is a first round pick. Yes, but, well, but it is, but it's especially if it's in the top 20, right? Like I think Absolutely. if you're getting, if you're talking about pick 30, you know, you're, you're looking at it a, a little more sullen, but I don't see that being the outcome for either Detroit or Boston this year. So I think you're probably talking about a pick between 15 and, and 20 is my guess. Ian, do you think that's fair? I don't know. It depends, right? Because if you're Detroit, you're going to send the Boston pick, right, to to Ottawa. And if and if Boston finishes where we think they are, I think it's more likely between twenty and twenty five or whatever. But, uh-huh. but you got more faith in the Bruins than I do this year. Well, mm. I, I don't think they're they're obviously not going to win it at a sixty be at a yeah. sixty five win pace. But I think that like being around a hundred points seems about right for Boston for me. But. But regardless, Ottawa took the you gotta look at this in a larger context. Ottawa took the number seven overall pick yeah. last year, and they've downgraded that to something in the 20 neighborhood. And for yeah. people saying, like Julian saying, hey, a first round pick's a first round pick, let me just reset what they did with Matt Duchesne a few years ago, because it's awfully similar. They took what eventually turned out to be the number four overall pick in 2019. So they could have had uh, Byram from Colorado, Cider from Detroit, or even Trevor Zegras. They downgraded to 19 when they ended up flipping Duchesne to Columbus. And instead of having one of them, they ended up with Lassie Thompson, who's a little bit more of a project. So I think that there is a tangible difference between picking in the top 10 and picking in the late teens. But but what I'm interested in... It really depends in, on who's scouting. It depends on how you develop those players, too. And, and and you're right. Maybe a first... You're right. Maybe saying a first-round pick is a first-round pick isn't the right way to go about it. And it means a little something more depending on which team is in charge. Not even just in terms of placement. Because depending on what organization gets a player at, like, 17 or 18, depending on their track record, they might have a history of having players pan out at that spot. 
Totally. And, and look, Ottawa is the team that when they when they traded Carlson to San Jose, no, everyone thought that pick would be in that 20 to 25 range. And then San Jose was so confident they didn't even top five protect that pick, right? So no. anyway, these things can turn out differently. Max, I'm interested on Monday morning, you had a conversation. You were part of a, a Zoom press conference, Steve Eisenman, Alex DeBrinket. Alex is a really... He's a quiet guy. He's not a flashy guy. He's not an in-your-face guy. He's a very, very tethered guy. He's a, but but I'm curious, what, what was your takeaway? What were some of the things that Alex said uh, to the media about this decision? Because, you know, obviously in Ottawa, there's a lot of people slinging mud at this uh, guy for, for, for wanting to leave. I always say, look, the guy, if you're going to applaud Claude Giroux for coming home, you kind of got to do the same thing for Alex. Yeah. Alex grew up loving Detroit and all that stuff. So what, what were your takeaways from, from chatting with Alex to bring it on Monday? Right off the hop, he shows up in a, in a white and teal Pistons hat, right? The throwback uh, Pistons retro. So I think, you know, that that's probably not a coincidence. And um, certainly he said, I don't think anyone was happier than his, his parents this was the line, you know, they'll, they'll get to have him close by. And also he's got a young child that uh, now will be close by to his grandparents. And so, um, uh, you could tell that, that it meant a lot to him, right? He talked about his favorite players growing up. He talked about watching the 08 cup run, you know, it's clear that there is an emotional pull here for, for him. And, and I think you're right, Ian, that it, it is similar to that, uh, in, in the Jure situation. I, I don't fault the, the Ottawa fans for being upset about it. It's just, you, you kind of have to separate the, uh, the, the human element of this from the business element. Cause you know, we, when we talk about these picks too, like you and I have talked about it, like. I don't think they probably take Marco Casper with that pick that, that ends up becoming DeBrinket. And so you're not getting a player like that. And, you know, later in the first round a year from now, and that is the, probably the reality here, but yep. you know, you know, I, 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 I will say too, I know this isn't what you just asked me, but I do think Dominic Kubalik is going to score 20 goals for them. Like he is a good player yeah. and he, yep. he can be a weapon for them. So like in the immediate term, I don't think, you know, you, you did lose some, some goal scoring talent and obviously the Red Wings get the term, but if he wasn't going to resign, you know, for next year, I do think they got some some scoring replacement, and we'll see what they do with the cap space too. But yes, yeah, he certainly sounded happy to to be uh, back in Detroit. Obviously, gr- grew up in Farmington Hills, and and often comes back in the summers. So uh, I think his wife's actually from from Southeast Michigan too. So a lot of things uh, you know line up for him there. What about his favorite players? Because we're in an age now where we're seeing a lot of people that like we grew up watching when we were kids turn into general managers. And like, I wonder if like Alex DeBrinket, like you mentioned the 08 run. I wonder if he was still at a point where like he, he has like fond memories of like Steve Eiserman playing. And then like all of a sudden he's his general manager. Yeah, yeah, uh, certainly. I mean, he's aware of, 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 of the, the legacy there. But the, the guy that he mentioned was Pavel Datsuk uh, yeah, as, as a favorite player growing up. And, you know, no surprise there with with how fun Datsuk was, you know, when, when you think about DeBrinket would have been what, 12? to 15 years old right in that peak window for those like that's the that's the 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 super zone for for fandom right of when you can be kind of most conscious and emotionally invested in a team so i don't think it's any surprise to hear datsuk's name uh there but that was the one he mentioned yeah and i'm curious and i wrote about this last week max and we've talked about this you know when you make a trade within the division it's a risky Situation, especially with a potential game changer like like Alex DeBrinket. And I'm wondering uh, how you see the balance of power. And again, Ottawa, it feels like there's another ball in play for Ottawa. Like they might do something. So all of this is with a big kind of asterisk. But if you were to, to try and power rank 
Ottawa, Detroit, and Buffalo, all kind of on the yep. same path. Yeah. Where where do you put these three teams now, given the Debrinket deal? I'd be at Buffalo one still with a bullet. I think I like them actually to threaten 100 points this year. Um, maybe even pass it. I don't know. I think they could be this year's New Jersey. Um, and then I think 24 hours ago, I had to put Ottawa next and then Detroit. I just think you flip those now. I think that is the kind of the, the Debrinket, what is it called? A seesaw or whatever that, you know, and, yeah. and uh, I think that's kind of what this does, but they're close. I, I still think, you know, both of those teams, I, I would expect to finish somewhere between the high eighties and low nineties. And, oh boy, did that rivalry last year already sizzle. This adds a little bit of pepper to, to the mix, doesn't it? But, yeah. what, but, but what I'm also wondering too, like the, those three teams obviously knocking at the door. I mean, look at the teams that that top of that Atlantic division though. Like Tampa, until further notice, I, I know they play a lot of hockey over the last few years. Like you might still be able to pin them as a playoff team. Maybe not even might. I think it's a little bit more confident than that. Toronto, I know they added some guys. It's a bit wishy-washy on how people feel. Okay, they're they're likely going to be there too. Florida just made a cup final, and all those guys know how to win now. Are you? Are, I know they just made it last year. Are they going to fall off? Like I'm just wondering, like who else? Like it's. I would love to see a scenario where like you see Buffalo, Ottawa, and Detroit like all making their all good teams. It's just that I'm I'm curious about the nature of the division. And how many of the teams currently at the top right now, I didn't even mention Boston, how many of the teams at the top right now are going to have to fall off for all of those teams to to make it in? And I don't think we're going to see a scenario where all three of those teams, Buffalo, Auto, no. Detroit, make the playoffs next year, or at least all at the same time, at least for another three, four years. And that decline at the top will probably start start soon, but... It's. I think it's still going to be really tough to for 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 Buffalo, Ottawa, and Detroit to to make a playoff push. But that's why I think like a hundred points for Buffalo. Like I'm still, I could be wrong. They could be this year's New Jersey. You could be absolutely right. Like I think they're likely more of a wild card team than anything else. I would probably rank it Buffalo, Detroit, Ottawa. Yeah, I think that's the order for me too. My my thing with with some of the the old powers. I know it sounds like we disagree on Boston here. Like I think we are underestimating though what losing potentially Bergeron and Krejci does to, to that i mean you still have i mean we don't uh, know if, about that yet like it's still kind of like the door's right. still open for them to come back it is but if they do and i guess maybe i'm operating under the assumption that they're not back and if that's the case like you still have a, an outstanding blue line you still have an outstanding goaltender whether you have both of those guys or just one of them or what um, and you have two of the elite wingers in the nhl there's no doubt but like I really am a believer that you win down the middle and yeah. if you take out two players of that caliber from a center group I do think it can drop you considerably. Um, we'll see. I mean, they, they they really extended themselves making a push for last year. Um, and we'll see if it comes back to, to haunt them or not. Even Tampa, I look, like right now, I, Connor Sherry is supposed to be on the second line for that team. And like you can, you can move some things around, but like it, it suddenly becomes a much more top heavy team in Tampa. And if you get the right matchups and you feel like you can do something to that point Kucherov combo, you know, I'm not going to pick against Tampa. I think you'd be a fool to do it, but I'm just saying, like, there's a lot of room for for shakeup here, especially when you consider the injuries Florida comes out of that cup run with. I think the division is loaded, but it's also uncertain. Is that a fair way yeah. to put it? Yeah, that's very you're, fair. You're, I, I had a great conversation in the spring with John Cooper in Ottawa, and I asked him this exact same question. I said, like, because you guys both know this. If you've ever dealt with John Cooper, just one of the great, insightful quotes in the game. And I said... Ottawa, Detroit, and Buffalo, like they're they're like waiting on the door. 
and you, Toronto, and Boston have been this sort of powerhouse grouping. When do you see this flipping? And he said, look, it could happen next year. And what Coop said was, there's going to be one season where it's going to be pure chaos in this division, where everybody meets in the middle around 95 points. And that's going to be a lot of fun, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, and, and, and I'll be honest here. The one team, the one fan base that I re- – and I, people in Ottawa aren't going to like me saying this. I feel for Buffalo. Like yeah. that fan base to go through a 12-year drought with that passionate fan base. They've been patient. They've been all – I want to see them make the playoffs. I, I, but I want to see Detroit and Ottawa make the playoffs because I think their fan bases have been super patient too. But but I love the John Cooper theory of we could get one season – where everybody meets at 95 points. And that that would just be so much fun. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, and honestly, Montreal's not as far off as I think some people yeah. would like to believe that, that have just watched, you know, Montreal was in the Stanley Cup Finals a few years ago. And, you know, the fan bases that we write for, Ian, are, are like, okay, it's, it's our turn. And Montreal's not that far behind. Um, so it, it, it is going to be really fun. I could see that year that you're describing that with everybody in the in the 90s as, as this season. Um but we'll see. I mean, it's it's going to be a fun division, and and I, I don't think it's going to be nearly as stratified as remember two seasons ago where it was clear as day by New Year's who was yeah. making the playoffs in that division. So eight eight teams with a hundred points in the East two years ago, right? And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I forgot everybody about else. that. Yeah. Uh, hey, listen. Before we let you go, uh, can you fill us in? Last week when we did the show, Julian and I were shocked that Phil uh, Philip Zadina was was kind of placed on waivers. And then obviously he cleared waivers and then that wasn't the end of it. He was bought out for the purposes of terminating the contract, which you don't see often. Yeah. Can you explain kind of what happened? Why did it not work? And if another team takes a swing at Philip Zadina, what are they getting here? Yeah, I was surprised by the whole saga too, because a year ago the Red Wings signed him to a three-year contract. And, you know, to me that says they believe in him and they do actually, from what what Steve Eisenman has told us, he... He still sees, you know, potential in Philip Zadina. Um, now, you square that with the fact that he was willing to just mutually terminate the contract, and I think that it obviously tempers the, you know, but but Philip Zadina had requested a change of scenery. I think he wanted more opportunity. I think the Red Wings maybe felt like um, the reason he hadn't didn't get a ton of opportunity last year had more to do with with his injuries than, you know, any anything of their uh, doing. But they they kind of grant that request here. He he leaves over north of $4 million in, in salary on the table by terminating um, his contract, but he'll get to pick a new spot. And and I think I am someone who still believes there's more in Philip Zadina. So if he gets more opportunity in a place like uh, Chicago, or maybe he goes to to a team that's more of a contender, maybe, it's a, maybe it is a Boston or a Florida or something like that, um, Carolina, um, I, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he if he does unlock and, and is a is a forty point player or something. But you know, it's the the team that gets him. I do think is getting a player who really wants this, and I think to leave that much money on the table shows that it's it's just been the in the draft. You'll remember this. He was hailed as this can't miss scorer, and he hasn't scored. And he he's he's improved his game in a lot of other ways, but he has not scored. Right? He's he's become more of a two hundred foot player. He, he he can you know transport the puck for you in transition but the for a guy like that the points have to come and they haven't and i think that's why um the opportunity was less than he would have liked ultimately um in addition to the injuries 
And I think that's going to be the question wherever he goes next. If he, you know, I don't think it's out of the question he can score 20 goals, but it has to happen and it hasn't happened yet. Well, I, just to follow up on that, from what you've seen of him, why hasn't it happened? What what in his game, in terms of that scoring ability, has not worked out? What has not translated over to the NHL level for Philip Zadina? At first, I think it was like a perimeter thing, like he wasn't getting to the the, the hard areas. And then I don't even think that's the case anymore. And I just can't, I can't handicap it. We've seen moments where the shot does look like it was supposed to look. There's other times where he, you know, he misses the net or he, you know, there was kind of a meme in Detroit that like Zadina was cursed or whatever because of, of some of these chances. But it's at a certain point, it happens so much that it can't just be this unexplainable luck thing. Right. So, you know, I, I wish I had the answer to that question because I it's one that you know fans have been asking me for two years, two or three years, um, but I don't know. Like and I, and I like him. I ho- I hope that it works for him wherever he ends up next because I think he's a really good guy. Um, but it just hasn't happened, and uh, we'll see if it does at the at the fresh start. All right, listen, Max. Uh, really appreciate you doing this. As you mentioned off the top, this trade kind of interrupted. The start of your vacation. So let, as we let you go, let it walk <laughs> us through what what is what is the summer of Max mm. intent here? Uh, well, uh, the, the, my fiance is a, a baseball photographer, so this is the All Star break. So we were just going to kind of lay low, do some home improvement this week. Uh, I'll, I'll write now this week, and I'll push that back a week, and maybe uh, maybe do a little more of that myself. But um, it, it won't be too crazy. We just bought a house. We're planning a wedding. We're, we don't have. Uh, you know, big baller vacation money at this moment. But uh, I play a lot. I'll play a lot of tennis. I'll play a lot of beer league hockey. I'm playing three nights a week uh, in the summer while I can. And uh, hopefully get on the golf course a couple times too if I can, uh, you know, psych myself up mentally for for the humiliation that entails. So this isn't a big ball of summer for, for you with all the different <laughs> things you got going on. A big ball of summer. For, well, for the Max big Bowl. baller part was buying the house There's, and, and playing yeah, the There's no doubt yeah, about that. Yeah. In this economy, big balling is that. But I just mean like, you know, last summer we took a Puerto Rico trip. There won't be anything like that this time around. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So you mentioned your your fiance is a photographer and shoots baseball. Did she shoot uh, or photograph the combined no hitter? She did. Yeah. How do you guys feel about combined no hitters? I feel kind of like they're not that exciting. Like I sent a note into a group text with some buddies and I'm like, hey, uh, the Jays are on the verge of getting no hit here. It's a combined no-hitter. Nobody wrote back to me in the group text. I'm like, ah, <laughs> that's how everybody feels. It's so much more impressive when, like, one pitcher does yeah. it. Like, that's so, what makes it so cool. So I'm wondering, if you're a photographer and you're shooting the moment of the combined no-hitter, like, are you are you getting the starter who pitched, uh, you know, into the seventh inning? Are you getting the guy on the mound who closed it out? Like, what? Yeah. What, what, what are you trying to capture there? So there was a few uh, frames of hers. I can nerd out on her work for sure. Like, yeah. Like it's the fist pump of the first baseman catching the final out, right? That's a, a standout shot. And then there's a few of like those, Those it was three pitchers. It was Matt Manning, Jason Foley, and Alex Lang. And so she, she's shooting, you know, their interactions with each other, right? The embraces of these guys who just come by. It was the first one in Tiger's history. And combined no-hitters obviously are, are rarer because for a long time you wouldn't dare take the guy yeah. out. But Manning, oh. Manning's had an injury history. And um, I, I honestly don't hate the decision to take him out as much as in the moment I was yelling at my TV, what are you doing? He's at 91 pitches. But uh, he wasn't going to be able to get through nine innings. So 
it's it's obviously not as cool, but I think you know that you know yeah you don't get that perfect frame of the the catcher and the the pitcher, but there's still a lot of cool interaction stuff, and that is yeah. something with team yeah. sports, right? That like you get to share this this moment now where you know at one point it would have all the spotlights on one guy. Yeah, you know it would have been cool if your if your fiance slid in one frame of a photo <laughs> of Jim Joyce just saying safe. At first base. Oh. Sorry, is that too Ugh. soon for Detroit fans? Oh. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it's not too soon because uh, I don't think we can ever stop hearing about that one in oh. Detroit. So. Yeah. No, that's so All right, before we turn this into a baseball podcast, we better get out of here. But, hey, thanks for this uh, tremendous work uh, over the weekend, kind of kind of contextualizing the DeBrinket deal, why it kind of starts the uh, – accelerates the uh, the rebuild in Detroit. Check out Max's piece, and I'm sure you'll have more now in light of uh, yep. you know, Alex and Steve uh, talking today. Thanks for doing this, and uh, enjoy some much, much deserved downtime here in the, uh, in the weeks ahead. Absolutely, and you too. Take care, guys. See you, dude. All right, terrific stuff with uh, Max. Just one thought here from Ottawa, and I'm actually curious to get your take on this, Julian, because I think sometimes what happens is for Max and for myself, you know, and, and you probably deal with this with the Flames. When you're so, I don't know what the word is, entrenched or whatever, uh, in, in covering a team, it's hard to step back and see a different perspective. So I kind of feel like the Ottawa part of this deal is not quite complete. Like the way I described it in my column on, on Monday was, and again, I guess I am turning this into a baseball podcast because I use the baseball analogy. Yeah. I said, Pierre Dorian didn't strike out. He didn't hit a home run. I'm going to rule this a ground rule double. This is oh. a ground rule double. It's kind of like it's kind of like a mid-return. It's like, that's ah, not great. It's not terrible. It's a double. But he's, here's my point, Julian. He's still at the plate. He's still got the bat in his hands. And now I want to see what he does with this at bat. Meaning, is he going to turn a little bit of extra cap space and savings on the brinket? Is he going to turn that into Thomas Tatar or Tarasenko or Travis Konechny or Scott Lawton? Or like if he's able, like I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop here. I'm waiting for the at bat to be done because I don't think it's done. Here, right here's, my, here's my thinking about that analogy. I agree with the fact that uh, this could still turn out to be a good move for the Sens if they turn that cap space into somebody. Where I disagree with is. You can't say that it's a ground rule double and then Pierre Dorian's still at the plate. I think what you have to say is, is that Pierre Dorian is at second and he's trying to get that extra space to see if he could do a bit of a steal to third if he's trying to do that. And he's just waiting for another move. He's waiting for someone else to make the hit at bat, make the hit at the at bat so he can run from second all the way down to home. He's not Ellie De La, he's not Ellie De La Cruz where he can find a way to steal bases all at once. But like Pierre Dorian, if he gets an if he gets a nice little bloop single, he, he to, the third base coach is waving him home. Yeah, wave him home. Dorian Dorian looked uh, like he got the speed to to run from second. He could do it. Yeah, but anyway, look, it, it's not a great return for Ottawa. But I I I just I want people to understand that when you when you make a trade like this, your market was limited, right? Yeah. So look, and I wrote the column today. It doesn't, there doesn't always have to be a bad guy. Like, we're always looking for a scapegoat, a villain, somebody to blame. And a lot of people have chosen Alex to brink it. Some people have chosen Pierre Dorian. My point is, look, 
DeBrinket didn't ask to be traded to Ottawa. No. He didn't demand a trade out of Ottawa. No. Uh, he was just doing what he was contractually protected by, which was he had one year left. He could have handpicked his destination next year. He opted to go to Detroit, takes a four-year deal. Some people are saying this blew up in his face. I don't think so. He'll be a UFA again at 29. He can he can monetize himself again. If he, if he returns to being a 35-goal scorer, if he scores 100 goals for Detroit in the next three years, I think he'll be okay. I think he'll yeah. be okay. And yeah. So, I, you know. At least, I, you know what's funny? Like, while we were talking to Max and you guys were talking about, uh, you know, when is this deal going to happen so, so you can go about your summer plans, I kind of sat back a little envious because uh, I cover a team that uh, maybe was supposed to be active on the trade market and right now they're just kind of standing back and the longer this goes on yeah. the more you have to worry about oh when is am i am i going to be at a am i going to be at a cottage up north and then that's when the trade of Noah Hannafin to i don't know Florida for some piece is that when is that going to happen like you know are you going to be I, at I, my house on Thursday night for an athletic get uh, together po- athletic hockey show podcast barbecue where my two podcast co-hosts julian mckenzie sean mcadoo they're gonna come to my backyard am along I, with our editor am i gonna have, to, Sarah am I have to bring my laptop and yeah. write the call write the column and knowing my editor is on vacation uh we're gonna have to rely on sj mott mayor to who will also be at this party yeah to, she can edit, edit right edit there story. on the on the patio she can just edit Edit this. By the way, does Ju- Julian's coming to my house this week? Yes, I. Am. I need to know Julian McKenzie's drink uh, request. Oh man, a drink week request. Yeah, oh, what's, what's your drink oh. request before we wrap up this podcast? I need okay. to. Okay, I need me a. Oh, the rum and coke is fine, man. You, you, and it doesn't have to be white rum, spice rum. Doesn't Just matter. Just a rum. rum and coke. Rum and coke is, is simple enough. Or really? if you got juice, you got soda, it's fine. But like, if you if you're asking me for for something special, uh, I'll, I'll take a rum and coke. That's fine. That's okay. okay. It's not a big deal. Okay. Well, I'm a simple a... man with drinks, man. It's, it's yeah. all good. okay. There we go. Well, put you down for a rum and coke. It, that yes. seems very basic. That doesn't. I, okay. I thought you would have had some sort of. I don't think I you would have been down to like I, I like it's rum and coke. I don't know if you would have been like if I had said rum and Red Bull, you might have been like, okay, what the hell are you on? You ever I, had a rum and Red Bull? I've had a I I've had vodka Red Bull. Okay, rum, Never, I've, I've had rum and Red Bull. Really? Yeah, that's a there's a there's a big song by uh, Beanie Man, and I forget what the other artist is, uh, but it's a big like dance hall song, Rum and Red Bull. And from that, I just decided Rum and Red Bull is gonna be my thing. But I want to behave myself in front of my coworkers, so Rum okay. and Coke, so Rum and Coke is gonna keep me is gonna keep me on the path of of you know least revelry and and bacchanal. How did they not name that drink Rumming with the Bulls? Rumming with the Bulls would have been perfect because Rumming. Because if you hear the song Rum and Red Bull. And you hear how catchy it is. Rumming with the bulls ain't gonna do the same thing. It's not gonna do it. It's eh? a completely different song if you called it rumming with the bulls. Rumming with the bulls. And are you are you gonna be able when you come to Ottawa? Are you gonna be able to see Ottawa native Mackenzie Weger at any point here? 
I, I would love to if uh, they make themselves available. That'd be pretty fun. That'd okay. be pretty cool. I actually liked talking to Mackenzie Weger uh, last season uh, in Calgary, and uh, he, he comes across as a very friendly person. I'll, I'll put that out there about Mackenzie Weger. Invite him to this barbecue. We need to oh turn this in, into a... <laughs> Uh, if you happen to listen to the Athletic Hockey Show, uh, yeah. you have an open invite to uh, Ian Mendez's house. Yeah, we should do we should do one of these things with like listeners one day. You yeah, know? I think Get so. Together. I feel like in Ottawa, if you you could do this, if you had like uh, an open athletic uh, barbecue where you have you, Sean McIndoe, uh SJ. Uh, I'm pretty sure if you get maybe some of Montreal's two hours away, you can get like Arpen Basu to pull up too. But then you open it up to like subscribers or just general fans of yours. People would pull up. You're like you're like almost like the mayor of Ottawa. Like people, you're like the most likable person in the market. And I think you could get enough people to like pull up and 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 celebrate with you and have a barbecue. Oh yeah, oh yeah, easily. Oh man. Okay, I'm in. I'm in. I, we should be doing this. I should be doing a athletic barbecue. You should do an athletic barbecue. Do it in like, like, and then like now's around the time when you would do it. Like early July. Damn it. We should have done this. We should yeah. have planned this out with you and we could have done this. But you know what? Well, you know what? Too, what if, what if like, what if like I get like a homie of mine to crash? Like, and they're like a big hockey fan. That might work. Yeah. I bet. We should or you know we should we should have put this out. we should have had a contest for listeners who live in Ottawa oh, come and join our barbecue oh. give us give us why you would be the perfect barbecue <laughs> guest to join us and then boom we'll we'll hook, hook you up dog you could we could have done like a whole like trivia thing or like um like email the athletic uh, hockey show email and like tell us your favorite Ian Mendez moment or your favorite Ian Mendez article. It could be moment because you could pull up all of his like sports that stuff or oh, just TV stuff or TV t- stuff. Or or the or the TSN radio stuff or just any just anything Ian Mendez. Like the best Ian oh. Mendez. But that, that seems awfully self uh, like that seems but that's the whole self-centered. point. You're, it's your house. It's your barbecue. It's your thing. Like you you have you this is the opportunity for you to make it about yourself. <sighs> I guess. Hey, look, before we wrap this up, too. Speaking of game, you said you would maybe do some trivia. Are you into uh, Puck Doku? Yo, I I I just got into Puck Doku this weekend. Yes. So for the explain it because I started playing uh, the Immaculate Grid in baseball, okay. and I loved it. I I really loved it. I was like, man, when is somebody going to do a hockey version? Sure enough. So can you explain, Julian? To our listeners, this is a great kind of time-stealing game called Puck Doku. Can you explain it to them a little bit? As best as I can, uh, every day you start off with this grid. And on, I guess, like the X and the Y axis, you'll have these different teams for each one. And basically the goal is, is, at least for like a good two-thirds of that grid, you're finding players who have played for two franchises. So say, for example, there's like one row, one kind of area where like the top part is like Chicago. And on the left-hand side, you see the Leafs. Like you're, you would have to find someone who has played for the Leafs and Chicago. And normally at the row, at the column, at the very end, there's like a, it's not necessarily a team. It's like a distinct uh, either attribute or something they've done. So, like, for example, today's Puck Doku, 
uh, I believe on the far right side, you have to pull up uh, a 40 goal score. Like I'll, I'll try to look at who who did well today. So you yeah. basically have to find like the today's grid. You need like a, a player who's played for the Avalanche and the Leafs. Uh, someone who's played for like the so like the Nazem Stars Kadri for like Nazem Kadri would come to mind right away. You could do that, but another thing about that too, uh, the I think you get a better score the more unique the more unique the player is. So like you so could John Michael Lyles, yeah, exactly. Like someone extremely obscure, and I think at the end of it you get like a uniqueness score. Yes, and I think I think the lower the score is, the better because I've realized the last two times I've played the score like gets higher, and I don't know if I've used necessarily the most unique players. But like the first time I did it, I got like a, a pretty low score. But one thing I will warn people about, um, because I learned this today, in terms of finding players who have played for like the same two fran- like these two franchises, they have actually they've actually had to have played at least one game. Like one example I could bring up for today's Puck Doku, which I don't know if it's a spoiler or not to do it. There's one where you need a player who's played for Colorado and for Ottawa, and I tried to be sneaky. And I tried to pick Shane Bowers, but Shane Bowers never, never played, played a game for the Ottawa Senators. Nope. nope. So that wouldn't have worked. Uh, if you were to do Leafs and Stars, for example, and you were to put in Max Domi, he's never played a game for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's only he's only signed that one year deal with the Leafs, but he has never actually played for them. So you can't you have to pick someone who's actually played a game for the franchise. And it's not sufficient that they were in the franchise at any point. Yeah. That they were just in the franchise, just like because you have guys who get flipped to one team and then they get flipped to like another team or something like you wouldn't put Ryan O'Reilly for Minnesota, St. Louis, but you would put Ryan O'Reilly for Toronto, Colorado. You would. You could easily do that. Good. Yeah. Like I said, John Michael Lyles would be the sneaky one there with that. Yeah, probably not. Not a ton of people uh, would have done. Again, exactly. Is- and the more like like the other day, I used like Marius Jerkowski as like one like guess for you could Habs and that. Islanders, Habs and Bruins, Habs and Bruins. Habs I went Matt Nasland with that. Ooh, yeah, old school. Like the more obscure, the better you'll come out of that game. Yeah, and again, the game is Puck Doku, P U C K D O K U. Yeah, in case you're wondering what we're talking about. Puck Doku, I promise you, if you love random trivia uh, related to hockey, you'll love this game. It's tailor-made for for hockey fans uh, like us. All right. See, like I said, we weren't sure. Were we going to do 20 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour? We did about an hour here. It was great, though. Max Boltman dropped by, got to the bottom of the brink. Talked about NBA in-season tournaments and how it could apply to the NHL. tournaments. Julian's a rum and coke guy. (laughs) I... It's funny. My dad is apparently not a rum and coke person. Like those things actually make him sick. Really? Is it because it, like usually when drinks make you sick, it's because you yeah maybe yeah, you had too many one but, time. Nah, my my dad's not like that. My dad's not one nope. of those people like pounding a bunch of drinks and getting sick. Like he takes his time and he enjoys himself. He's very much a like he's someone who like he's not gonna like drink one drink the whole night, but like he he takes his time. He's not like one of those like frat boys who's out here throwing up on the streets and whatever. He he takes his time. But just with See, Roman Cook, he just it never took to him. I uh I've reached the point in my life. You're gonna come here, you're gonna find a cooler with some Michelob Ultras. Oh I'm, at, I'm at that Lord. stage of my life. Oh my I'm not Lord. I don't not even a beer guy, but I but I've never had a Michelob Ultra. Oh, dang, we're gonna have a Michelob Ultra together. Yeah. yeah. That's what we're gonna do. Coming up. All right. 
Uh, we want to thank everybody. This was a great, uh, uh, real fun hour. It, look, in the middle of July, sometimes you don't have a lot of news, but we did. And uh, Sometimes. Yeah. We want to thank everybody for listening to the Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. And follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a rating and a review. We appreciate that. You can follow us on YouTube as well. YouTube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. Right now, when you're subscribed to The Athletic, it's $2 a month when you visit the Athletic.com slash hockey show. 